You're listening to Key Conversations for Leaders. This is episode number 20. Welcome everybody. In today's episode, we'll be discussing using power skills to develop high-performing teams with Dr. Ruth Gautian. In this episode, we're gonna be covering the top four traits of high performers, the need for power skills to enhance teamwork, leadership, and performance, and how to develop the mindset of an astronaut, and much, much more. In times of great change, we need great leaders, those willing to step up, to take responsibility, to create a vision, and inspire others to join them in fulfilling that vision. A key part of that is having conversations with yourself and those you lead. That's what this show is about, better conversations for better leaders. Hey everybody, and welcome to Key Conversations for Leaders. I'm your host, John Ryan, and today we have a very special guest, Dr. Ruth Gautian. Ruth Gotian is known as a mentor's mentor. She is a contributor for both Forbes and Psychology Today. She has spent decades researching the most successful people of our generation in order to understand what they do when the world isn't watching, that it ultimately has put them in that elite class. She's uncovered their habits and practices, and I'm so excited that you are here today to share these secrets with us. Thank you for being here and welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I am so excited. <laughs> awesome. Me too. I've been looking forward since we connected. So Dr. Ruth or Ruth or whatever you prefer to be. There's only to... one Dr. Ruth. Oh, I know. I know. Only I... one Dr. Ruth. <laughs> and I, I just want to tell you that we have a lot in common uh, and I've met her and we've discussed this. We are both Dr. Ruth. We both got our doctorate from the same institution we both got it at around the same age and we're both bilingual in the same languages, the same two languages, but only one of us is a trained sniper. So your audience members can Google that. Okay, I, I will leave that as a, a mystery <laughs> for them to ferret out. That's Thank you for, for clarifying that. Um, we'll go with Ruth for now, I think, as well. Because <laughs> okay. I'm not sure who the sniper is and I don't want to get in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> So I know that you've been really for the last decade, if not more, been looking at identifying the traits and behaviors of successful people. Um, what is it that, that you look for and, and what have you found? So I have really been looking into these high achievers because I've worked around them for decades. And there really are some things that stand out, which is why I decided to really take a deep dive and look into it. And I have looked at successful physician scientists, Nobel laureates, uh, people like Tony Fauci, who everyone's hearing about now, former surgeon generals, astronauts, Olympic athletes, that whole crew. And they really have four major things that they all do. Now, the key is you have to do all of them simultaneously. So it's very obvious they're all intrinsically motivated. They have found their passion, they have found their purpose, and they go for it. This is what they're all about. They would do it for free if they could. And that's really the most important part, right? Because they always say, when you find your passion, you're never working a day in your life. They are so curious about it. It's not about the Nobel. It's not about the award. It's not about the big salary. It's not about going into space. It's not about the Olympic medal. They are so passionate about it and you, it comes through when you talk to them. So that's first, right? If you're doing it for a diploma, a degree, an award, you're going to burn out or fail out. So you have to find what you're passionate about and be intrinsically motivated for it. You also have to have this 
super, super, super high level of perseverance, which means if you fall in a race, if your experiments don't work, if there is a pandemic, if your funding doesn't come through, if your book deal doesn't come through, whatever it is, they realize that those bumps in the road are going to be there no matter what. But there is something on the other side of that. So they have this determination to get through it, over it, around it, under it. They get to the other side no matter what, right? They are all about actually getting to the other side, seeing this as a learning experience. So that's the high level of perseverance. The other is they learn in informal means. So it's all about, they are absorbing information at at this rapid pace constantly. And everyone does it differently based on their learning style. So it could be their reading or they're listening to podcasts, but they're also talking to people. They're absorbing information from people. And it's not about sitting in a classroom. Adults don't usually sit in classrooms. It's those informal conversations in the coffee break room around the water cooler at the gate at the airport when we eventually can get back to that. They are having those conversations all the time. And that's what's so important. They will get that information from people who are senior to them, junior to them, and at their level. They are not afraid to get more data, more intel. And then finally, they remember their roots. They remember their core. And they get back to that core every single day. So people like the physician scientists, they are still designing and executing their own experiments very often. They have a whole team, but they are embedded in that process. The athletes, they're still doing the drills that you would see in a junior high gym, right? The same skills, because those are the basics. Those are the core. So if you have those four things, being intrinsically motivated, a really super high level of perseverance, um, the learning through informal means and getting back to the basics, obviously there's layers to each one, but those four are the big the top four, the awesome foursome, if you can do that. The awesome foursome. And the I awesome love, foursome. <laughs> they have to be there simultaneously. You're not yes. ping-ponging yeah. around. Correct. And I think what's exciting about that is you put them in operational terms, like behaviors. Yes. They actually are, are habits, behaviors that you can do. It's not something that you're born with. So the nature versus nurture, do you tend to lean on that this is a skill set that can be nurtured? This is 100% can be learned because there actually was a difference in the data based on gender, based on race, ethnicity, based on if their parents were in the same field or not. So a lot of them had that, right? They were able to have those career discussions around the dinner table, but a lot of them did not, right? But they were still able to learn it and get to the other side and they, you know, were grittier about it, but they had, when they found those opportunities, they actually absorbed them. So sometimes they had to work more solo. Sometimes they had to work with other people and absorb what they can, where they can, how they can. And they never stopped, never. Excellent. So what habits, in addition to those four right there, that you think that successful people do on a consistent basis that separates them from people who are are not necessarily the higher achievers, as you kind of mentioned? All of these things have various layers to it, right? So one of them of absorbing information from wherever they can and learning by informal means, that means that they all also had mentors. They all also had a team of mentors, which is why I advocate for that so much. They had coaches, right? 
all the big entrepreneurs, all the big CEOs, they have coaches and all of them have mentors as well. Mentors is for the whole career, coaches for a specific skill, for a specific timetable. They all have that because they all see feedback, not as a critique, but as an idea for enhancement. And they are craving that so, so much. So they all have those, the mentors, they all have coaches, they all have um, long-term goals, but they are also focused very much on the immediate goals. What is the next goal that I need to do? So if you look at the Olympic athletes, the, the goal is not the Olympic medal. First, it's to win in states, then it's to get to nationals, then it's to get to worlds, then it's to get to, you know, Olympic trials, then it's to, you know, the Olympic. There's so many goals along the way. So they look at the next goal and what do I need to do to get to that next goal? And what am I missing? And what do I need to get more of? And what do I need to pull back? And they all have a people around them, usually their peers, who hold them accountable. And that is so critical. So critical. So the the awesome foursome needs to be done simultaneously. Are you also finding that they have, like, for example, the athlete, are they thinking about that long-term goal and the short-term goal simultaneously? Or do they, once they figure out where they want to go, do they let go of that long-term and only focus on the immediate steps? So the long-term is far out in the distance. It's, you know, it's, it's nice to have. There's not a plan for the long-term goal. There's no plan to get the Nobel. There's no plan really to get that you know, go into space, but there are so many things that you can do to set you on that path because there might be a new long-term goal, right? So when you go on interviews and people say, where do you want to be in five years, 10 years? That's a silly question, right? Because the job may not even exist yet, but what is your next immediate goal? That's what you need to focus on. And if you want, maybe the one right after, don't worry about the big long-term goal because that may change. Okay, so immediacy really, because that's where the results are. That's where the rubber meets the roads. Would, would you mind taking a moment in defining the difference? Because you mentioned about the mentors for the entire career, the coaches for a specific aspect. How do you look at those two roles as, as how are they similar and how are they different? Sure. So there's actually four different types. There's a role model, a mentor, a coach, and a sponsor. So a role model is someone you look up to, even though you may never meet them. So you might want to be a keynote speaker. You will go look at on YouTube, who's a great keynote speaker, and there are things you may wish to emulate from what they do. Great. The mentor is someone who helps you over your career. They help you. You have to come in with a goal and a plan, right? I want to be vice president. I want to be a, you know, a lawyer. I want to be an associate professor, whatever that is. Come up with the goal and come up with the plan. And then the mentor helps you refine that plan. So, okay, if this is your goal, here are the things you need to do. Here are the people you need to meet. And they help make those connections and they help make that happen. So, for example, if you're in academia, you want to be associate professor, you need to have a national reputation, you need to publish, you need to give keynotes, et cetera, et cetera. Okay, you need to publish. Well, it's hard to come up with a project all on your own if you've never done one, but maybe I can connect you to someone who's working on that and you can work together with them, learn from them, get your name on a paper, and then you're going to start developing your own. Here's a call for conference proposals. Maybe you want to submit the work that you just did, right? So they will help you do that. Or they take you to a conference. Who here do you want to meet? Or here are the people that you should meet to help you 
hear other perspectives about your goal and milestones to hit and how to go about them. So a mentor really is long-term. It's over your entire career. A coach is for something very, very specific for a finite period of time. So it could be you want to work on your presentation skills where you have a TED talk, you may wish to hire a speaking coach or um, someone who can help with storytelling. Or maybe you want to have an executive presence, or perhaps you want to get over your imposter syndrome and really get out of that starting gate. So a coach can really help you with that. They can help you develop your leadership skills because we don't usually learn that in school. Um, And then finally, a sponsor is someone who talks about you when you are not even in the room. They are the ones who are promoting you and putting your name forward for promotions, awards, prestigious committees, all of that stuff. So it's a role model, mentor, coach, and sponsor. Ideally, you should have all four. They don't all need to be the same person, though. Another awesome foursome. (laughs) I'm seeing the connection. I love it. It's balanced. So with those four, they don't have to be the same person. Can they be? They can, but they don't need to be. That's a lot to ask of one person. Yeah. And of course, it sounds like they have to be in the room as well if they're going to be a sponsor. So that mentor might be someone who's not necessarily even in your industry, perhaps. Correct. Someone who's been there before um, or has some attributes that you that you value. Yeah. Um, that sponsor mm-hmm. and and even the mentor, I in, in my world in training development, you know, coaching is a big part of that. But sponsoring and, and mentorship in the corporate world are people, is that one of the things that people really need to do more of is oh actively God, yes. seeking mentorship and sponsorship? Absolutely. You have to have a mentor. You have to have a team of mentors who can help you. And the more diverse the team, the better. So you want people senior to you, junior to you, and at your level. And you also want them from different industries as well. Because if you just have people from your own industry, you're going to have blinders on because this is the way that we do it in education, or this is the way we do it in medicine. But if you can get people from legal and business and military and education, all of these fields, you're just going to get all these other perspectives. Now, in terms of sponsorship, just like anyone could be a mentor, I don't care where you are on the hierarchy, you can be a senior mentor to someone, a junior mentor or a peer mentor, but you can also be a sponsor. And to be a sponsor, all you have to do is amplify their voice. And they, you can be junior to them as well and still be their sponsor. So if they published a paper, if they got an award, if they had some sort of achievement, if all you have to do is let other people know about it, you can bring it up at a meeting, you could uh, give out a congratulatory remark with a link uh, on social media, you can get your picture taken with the person and say, congratulations, Jane Smith on winning the such and such. I know, you know you're a top pick, blah, blah, blah. That's all you have to do. That's all you have to do and you get their name out there. And if you can do that for people who are often marginalized and overlooked, bonus points to you. So almost everyone should be looking, who can I sponsor? Asking that question, how can I be an advocate for people whose voice is not being heard and, and to amplify that from a, exactly. a personal responsibility? Are these Is the sponsorship, for example, is that a formal relationship or? No. Nope which is why anybody can do it. Wow. Anybody can do it. And I think social media just opened up a whole new world for that, right? You can just sponsor, and you don't even need to know them very well, right? You can just be tracking their work and say, oh, this is impressive. This is impressive. More people need to hear about this. So in, in a way on, on LinkedIn, I yes. see an article that I like. 
that's uh, hey, it's not getting as much views as it really should get. Let me post it, repost it, add a comment. Hey, you got to check out this article. In a way, that's embodying that role uh, of a sponsor. Exactly right. And what you did, even if it's getting a lot of reads, you are throwing your support behind it, which also means you're throwing your support behind that person, which now means your whole network is going to hear about it. Now, what's important is if you do that, make sure to tag the author link to the article or link to the award if you could, or the picture or whatever it is, and make sure you tag it so it shows up on their timeline as well. And that's how you throw your support behind that person. Fantastic. I, I love that you just lower the bar of what it needs to do and make it so easy and doable that we can do it today. In fact, we should do that. It's Whenever you listen to this podcast, go sponsor someone today. <laughs> that's right. And, and that's always my goal. My goal is always to provide actionable tips that people could implement immediately because we don't, we can't make this a dream because if it's dream, it's never going to happen. It's too big, but there are things people can do right now today, even while listening to the podcast that they can implement immediately and, and change someone's life. In a way, you're you're providing mentoring, so we're already implementing these ideas. That's and I right. Love virtual that, mentoring. Virtual mentoring, exactly. That's right. And connecting that mentoring idea and getting that team of mentees, mentees mm-hmm. above, mm-hmm. below, at the same level, because that goes back to the original foursome that you mentioned of the third one, absorbing knowledge at the fastest Correct. rate you possibly can, which is fantastic. Which is that one of the core skills? I know you have this term called uh, power skills. Yes. That people really need to develop to becoming an effective team leader. Can you, is this one of the skills or is this a separate concept to, and what those are? Well, so the power skills, you know how people always talk about soft skills? I sure. hate that term because soft skills are so hard for so many people. So I'm not calling them soft skills anymore. I'm calling them, and someone else I think came up with this. I'm just using it. Yeah. I call it power skills because if you can embody these skills, there is no end to what you can do. And this has to do with teamwork. This has to do with leadership. This has to do with communication. I mean, they're all, all kinds of things. There's having an open mindset. There's having empathy. There's five, five key ones that I, I talked about in, I think, in the article that you, you're referencing. But that's why I call them power skills, because they really will help you go forward. I love that branding and let's keep that going and let's expand. I want to sponsor that too. (laughs) (laughs) But if you look at the research, you know, as I'm sure you have as well on emotional intelligence, these are not soft implies weak. These are not weak skills. These are actually critical skills that help effectiveness and engagement and, and loyalty results, community, all those things really come into play. So I love that branding. Is there anything that you would that comes to mind for you that in your research that mm-hmm. people really need to be bringing in in this environment right now specifically where we're disconnected, working from home, different places, yeah. maybe even hybrid in some communities too? I think this is the time where empathy is key, right? What might work for you might not work for me. You could be going through a tough time. I might be doing great. Just because we're on the same team doesn't mean we're going to experience the same thing. So to me, empathy is paramount because if you can do that, everything else will fall into place. But you have to have that that key power skill. So in that power skill, I imagine of effective and empathic listening and really listening to not just what someone says, but the tonality, you can probably pick up on how they're doing. 
And I'm guessing you would say if you hear someone else who's not doing well, then, hey, pause the conversation, check right. in on that person, have that and become a mentor in them. Right. Moment. So yeah. my colleague, uh, um, my friend Christopher Littlefield, um, he actually came up with the concept of whenever you have a Zoom, ask people on a scale of one to 10, how are you doing? Right. One is terrible. I can't even get out of bed. I, I can't deal with another day of this. And 10 is fantastic, like truly fabulous. And have everyone at the start of the meeting put in a number. Anyone who has a seven or below, as a leader, you need to follow up with them after the meeting. Figure out what's going on. Is the homeschooling too much? Is being confined at home too much? Are they, you know, do they have to take care of elderly parents? Is there someone immunocompromised? Do they not have the bandwidth issues to deal with everything? You know, what is the issue? But have that conversation. But if you don't know to have that conversation, then you're just guessing based on what? You're making assumptions. What a really simple idea to do to get a baseline of where people are at because most of it it can change someone's trajectory during this difficult time. And if it's just a leader led conversation, even if it's zoom, mm -hmm. you can't necessarily see everyone's faces. You can't pick up on that self-identified number and plus right. they're putting on a face. So checking in ahead of time and then taking that next step of reaching out and just how can I help? Right. And, you know, in the American culture, we, definitely separate our home life from our work life, right? We don't know everything about everyone's family members. We don't know about everyone's living circumstances. So we're making assumptions. We really don't know. And here's the opportunity to open that up a little bit. Because you're right, the separation is gone. It is work-life integration for sure. Are there any things that you would think of that mentors should be doing right now to assist their mentees? I think the mentoring during a pandemic has to be completely reimagined. So the way we were doing things before is not the way it, it can be right now. So sometimes the next goal is not what you can even focus on. And the plan for that goal can't be focused on either. It's what needs to be done today or this week and how can I help with that? And maybe this is too much for it. You have too much of a cognitive load right now. Would you prefer if I reassign that or put a pause on that? Or instead, would you like to help me with something that I am working on? I need someone to help me with this small piece. And sometimes those small pieces could really be helpful because there is a sense of accomplishment. But what they had to do was just too big and too global and too overwhelming at that point. So it's sort of lowering the bar, but it's sort of just being flexible about it. It's not that you're lowering the bar of the quality of the work, it's the quantity and the rat race that needs to be reimagined. And is part of the idea behind that, like obviously to create momentum and create inertia, mm -hmm. but yeah. at that point, like you said, bandwidth, mm -hmm. there's a lot of stressors everywhere. Yeah. And if they're bandwidth, if they're not getting progress towards that goal, then obviously let's put that on pause. Let's yeah. do what the athlete does. Let's focus on the most immediate goal and also make that goal small enough that there's a sense that I can do this and create that positive win. Cause that's what we need right now. It sounds like. Absolutely. It's the small wins. And, you know, just like those athletes, you know, if, if they, uh, 
twisted their ankle, that doesn't mean they're not working out anymore. They're just working out different parts, right? Right. Right. They're still in the gym. They're still, you know, having the mindset. They're still, you know, reviewing their, their past races. But it's just about what can you focus on now? What can you do right now? And at, at the beginning and the end of all of this is make sure everyone is physically and mentally healthy because you cannot do or accomplish anything if you don't have those bookends. That is what's so critical. So if you know your team is healthy and the people that they're caring for are healthy, then you can work on everything else. And you know what? Maybe the productivity will go down, but you will have such loyalty from those employees that that productivity, as soon as they can get over this hurdle, that productivity will come right back up. You mentioned accountability earlier. and, and that's what a coach can do, a mentor or a leader can do as well. Is it different now that like accountability in terms of like hardened, hey, you got to get this done by this date and here are the consequences if you don't? Like it seems like things have to shift in that area as well. Right. I think they absolutely do. But, you know, some things are time sensitive. Sure. Right. If you're working in payroll, people need to get paid. Mm-hmm. There are deadlines for that. Right. That can't wait. That can't wait. But are there other things that are not as time sensitive as we thought it was? And I think that's what this pandemic is is having a lot of people do a reset to think about that, about what they value, what they want, um, and how they wish to go about it. So the accountability is also to yourself and to others, right? What can I give? How will I hold true to my word? I think what's always best is to over to uh, under promise and over deliver. Absolutely. Under promise, over deliver. And if you can do that, you're good. You're good on your word. So managing expectations. Absolutely. And, and also when you make that commitment to, like you said, the integrity, follow through on your word and make that happen. Absolutely. S- sounds like you'd probably also say if you need help to let someone know earlier rather yes. than later. For Absolutely. Sure. But you can't be that person who's always asking for help. Right. Then right. you're not doing your job. <laughs> exactly. Then you then you overpromised and underdelivered. Then you Fair did the enough. exact opposite. So know what you can handle. Make sure you do that. And you know, instead of saying I'll get it by Friday, if you can do it by Monday and know it's going to be a superb job, do that. And say, is Monday okay? Is that a reasonable deadline? Excellent. Part of setting setting boundaries and communication Absolutely. and flexibility. You know, one of the things I love about your work is that you looked across the board. You're not just looking at uh, scientists or athletes, but, you know, even as you mentioned earlier, astronauts. Mm-hmm. Can, can you talk a little bit about, you know, some of the insights that you gathered from studying astronauts? They are the most incredible human beings. I mean, talk about laser focus. And there's no choice, right? Because if they're not laser focused, somebody can die. So they really um, put a lot into it. And I I spoke to um, a number of astronauts who spent significant amount of time in space and um, really to figure out, you know, how did they do that? First of all, how did they get there and how did they maintain cohesiveness? And, you know, it's very similar to our lives now. You're working from the same place as you're living, So for them, um, you remember we talked about intrinsically motivated and perseverance and 
They are laser focused on the task at hand. They have almost every minute of their life and space is prescribed. But they had enormous training to get to that point, enormous training. And they put together high performance teams and, and the training was in these um, really extreme conditions. But they did that because, you know, it's train hard, fight easy, right? So if you train hard and fight easy, it just becomes that much better. And they didn't complain about it because they knew that's what they had to go through in order to get to their goal, right? Which was getting in that space shell and going out to space. So that was, remember I talked about the bumps in the road and it's on the way, right? Mm -hmm. These are some of the things that they needed to do in order, in order to get there. So they really focused on um, everything they needed to do. They were very focused also on separating between work time and downtime. They really did that even, even in space between work time and downtime. When you're with the same people all the time and when you are living and working in the same area all the time, well, you can't work 24 hours a day, right? They had very specific lines of demarcation. This is my private space. This is where I sleep. This is where I read. This is where I communicate with my family. And this is where I work, right? Where they sleep, they didn't do work. Now, one of the um, one of the astronauts was a, um, a a commander of the entire uh, um, the, the entire crew. She was the first female commander, um, and she said that one of the things that she focused on was everyone had to eat together, because if you eat together, that really builds the team. So they were not individual people. They actually worked as a team and they realized that everyone brought in something very unique to the group and they were something, they were a key um, factor to the success of the group. They couldn't do it without them. So that's what it is. It's laser focused and really a high performance team. You know, I, I love your parallel to where we are right now. We're, we're teams, we're at the same time, we're isolated. Did the idea of introversion, extroversion come up into the astronaut yeah. work? And, and any tips or suggestions for the extroverts out there right now in the pandemic who are going nuts, you know, a little bit? Right. So um, some of them were introverts, some of them were very much extroverts. The extroverts uh, definitely used humor quite a bit to. Um, you know, to help with the stress of the situation. Um, and, I, and I think that that was really great. And they remembered their higher purpose of why they were doing this. And I too am an extrovert. And the beginning was, was kind of tough, right? Because we're so used to being around other people and we get our energy from other people. But I think even us extreme extroverts have learned to work within this environment. So some of the, the um, recommendations that I gave for extroverts was um, have that background noise on. So the extroverts can work in, the, in, in Starbucks and in hotel lobbies, and we use that background noise as our white noise, because if it's too quiet, it's very often it's hard to, for us to focus. So either have the TV on in the background or have the radio on or Spotify on in the background or a podcast on in the background, just where you're hearing 
those conversations happening because that will help. You can also have, you know, Zooms. They're not just for work. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Now, I don't know that I'm going to give this advice now that we're so many months into it because I'm kind of Zoomed out. But at the beginning, having Zooms with friends, having Zoom with family, not every night, but on some sort of rotation, really helps normalize things. So, and that's also great from a mentoring perspective. So I have a weekly Zoom with this group that I'm a part of. We met at a conference. We only started these uh, these virtual happy hours during the pandemic. And we just became such a tight group and we're learning from each other every week, which is fantastic. Nice. So so you find a balance on the Zooms as well because people are, are definitely getting Zoomed out, yes. you know, as, they, as they say. Yes, now, nobody calls each other anymore. That well, that's been true for a while, though, right? But it was, and you never, you never have to say who is it, right? That's the exactly. other joke, right? Because you always, if I don't know yeah. this number, I'm not gonna not gonna answer. Exactly. So maybe maybe we could have some phone calls as well. So get away from the the Zoom, go out for a walk, you know, yes. put on our mask and go for go for a walk and all those kinds of things. And you can go for a walk and talk on the phone with a friend. Correct. Which is very yeah. often what I do. Uh, that's a, that's a really <laughs> good point. Yeah. Excellent. So the laser focus of the astronauts and mm-hmm. in their training years, mm-hmm. you know, decades, sometimes yes. in the making, making that happen. I imagine they embody some of the things you talk about in terms of the, the goal setting mindset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you Absolutely. talk a little bit more about what, what that is? So they had a goal on their mission and everyone had a very specific job and they were there to do that job. So, I said, well, they they told me that mission control actually set out what they were to do. And I think it's, you know, minute by minute, hour by hour of what to do and what needs to be accomplished that day. And they said, there's so much work to do when you're up in space. You don't have time. You just, you, you can't let your mind wander because you're responsible for this. There's no one else. They have their own things that they need to do. So their goal is to really get that done. And they have to have extreme confidence that they are able to get it done. So they've been training for that. So competence, confidence, focus, discipline, all those things have got to be there, which I think comes back to the intrinsic motivation, yes. uh, the focusing on the goals that you said, immersion. Do they have- And know how to work as a team. Team, team performance. Know so- how to work as a team. And also nothing's above them, nothing is beneath them. So what does that mean? You have to fix everything yourself when you're in space. If the toilet doesn't work, you gotta fix it. The food gets stuck to the wall because there's no gravity, you gotta take it down, right? So you have to do everything and they have nothing's above them, nothing is beneath them. I assume that's an important characteristic that you found with leaders in general is that they're willing to do the work, they're just not necessarily doing the work at that moment. That's correct. And and the other thing is that they do, and you see this with astronauts and you see this with athletes, everything's a competition. Everything is a competition. And it's not necessarily with each other. The competition is with themselves. I want to have a faster time than I did the last time I did this, right? If I'm training, if I'm running, if I'm canoeing, whatever it is, but also for the mundane tasks as well. They also make it a competition. How quickly can I unload this? Or how quickly can I set up that? And it's a competition with themselves to do it faster than they used to do it. 
are they aware of that game? Yes. Like, is that, they're they're very, very cognizant aware. of that. Okay. Very much. <laughs> very and much that just so. naturally is is inside of them and what they do. That's right. It's got to make it more fun and enjoyable too, I imagine. They're very competitive people. So they thrive on that. I mean, can you imagine if they play pickup basketball, what that's like? I mean, it's just <laughs> because they they are just infused with that passion for it. Some people like to live under that kind of, um, they, they thrive under that pressure, right? Pressure mm-hmm. is a good thing. Stress is a good thing up to a point. If it's too much, it's debilitating, but just enough actually pushes you to achieve. So for them, that's what they thrive off of. Can that level of uh, self-competition, if we can call it that, can that be cultivated in a team? Yes, absolutely. So, but you need a really strong leader and facilitator to do that. And this goes back to that power skill, right? Because most people don't learn how to do that, right? I have a doctorate in adult learning and leadership. I know how to lead teams, but a lot of people, you don't get trained to do that. So they have to actually learn that. Um, Some of them, some of the astronauts actually learned some of these leadership and, and power skills before ever going into space, but that definitely is a learned skill. And I think everyone should learn it. I think it makes it more fun and it gets you back into that constant immersion of growth and how can I get better and connecting to your passion as well. What's right. what's one thing in, in dealing with so many leaders that obviously the best, the best exhibit, but maybe the average leader doesn't embody what's maybe one or two traits that you think that would be really important for an emerging leader, a newer leader to really start to focus on to, to become a better mentor and coach. First of all, find someone who can teach you. And that could be you are um, observing them from afar. They're a role model. Have someone you can confide in, someone you can learn from. So even the leader needs their own mentor and their own coach. Start with that. Because when you have this soul-crushing stress about this team that's dysfunctional, they can help you take the blinders off and find new ways to attack that problem. So that's that's critical. Um, and, and I think uh, as new leaders, they also need to really level up their communication skills. So over-communicate at the beginning because people don't know you. They don't know your style. They don't know what makes you tick. They don't know what you like. They don't know what you dislike. So over-communicate at the beginning. And I would definitely start with that. So I actually, I, I teach about um, leadership development and we talk about what are the things that the best leaders do? And then the next step of the process is how often do we see leaders do it? Always, sometimes, never. The always column is almost always empty, but the sometimes and the never is way too full. So my goal when we do these leadership development workshops is to get people to move those ideas over to the always column or as always as possible. What a simple metric. It's so true. I love yes. that. <laughs> you, you clearly have incredible knowledge and, and a lot of passion for high performance and leadership. Is there one topic that you feel like is the most important to you and near and dear to you? Within leadership? Yeah. I think it's embodying adult learning and leadership 
together so that we can produce more high achievers because the high achievers perform at 400% higher rate than an average employee. So we are always focused on developing our pipeline. I'm thinking we need to develop more high achievers. And that is really what I'm focused on, on developing those types of people because people have it in them. They just don't know how to tap into it. And leaders don't always know how to get that out of their employees. So that's what I'm hoping to do. And and if I'm going to understand what you're saying, so instead of focusing on the front end, let's say the the pipeline, if you focus on the core, the leadership team itself, that development, that growth, that motivation, the inspiration is going to trickle down. And the impact that you have on your clients and your communities is going to be going from there. That's right. And don't ignore the high achieving employees in your organization. Because if you ignore them, they'll be gone. Mm. So you need to develop them as well and develop them as leaders. Well, the, the 80-20 rule, right? So should you focus your attention on developing the top 20%, the bottom 80? I, I think <laughs> we're kind of getting in that direction. And maybe this is too big for this, this conversation. Yeah. So I, I just wrote an article about that very topic. As I just mentioned, high achievers produce 400% more than the average employees. But what happens in most organizations? If you have your annual performance review, let's say it's on a scale of one to five. If you're three, you're average. You've hit the benchmarks, fabulous. You are under the radar, no one pays you any mind. If you don't meet the benchmarks, if you're below a three, then they're on you like a rug, right? They have... um, classes you should go to. They have a a performance improvement program. They have supervisor training. I mean, there, there are all sorts of things that you should do. What happens if you get four or five? You blow those benchmarks out of the water. Well, you're ignored again. So what happens is if you're ignored again, then you're not challenged. And if you're not challenged, you're going to leave the organization. So what happens is these high achievers leave the organization and then the organization is left with at best an average employee. At worst or the reality, they're left with the duds. So why not focus on the high achievers and develop them, right? Brilliant. (laughs) It's so simple. I try to break it down. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, otherwise you're just gonna have a, a talent exodus over time because they're not getting the attention that they deserve as well. Which is what's happening. Yeah. Wonderful. Dr. Gautian, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your passion, and your insights. What is the best way for our listeners to get in touch with you, stay connected, and stay up to date with your work? Sure. So my website is ruthgautian.com. That's R-U-T-H-G-O-T-I-A-N.com. And all my social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, it's just my name, Ruth Gautian. Thank you so much. Thank you. To connect with Ruth, go ahead and visit her website, ruthgotian.com, or you can find her on LinkedIn and Twitter. Her links will be in the show notes. Until next time, develop yourself, empower others, and lead by example. Thanks for listening to Key Conversations for Leaders with your host, John Ryan. If you enjoyed the show, please let us know. Give us a rating or write a review. If you have a question, send me an email to john at keyconvo.com. And if you haven't already, go ahead and stop by keyconvo.com for a bunch of free content and resources.